and welcome to Simply Why. I'm your host, Connor Reed. Simply Why is a podcast brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University, where we do a deep dive into the stories behind our outcomes. Our guests share the choices that changed their lives, the paths that led them to where they are, and of course, the why at the heart of it all. Our guest today is Dr. Amanda Drury. Dr. Drury is Professor of Practical Theology here at IWU. She has taught here for 11 years and is also the director of the Imaginarium, a project that helps young people experience and lead ministries. Additionally, she is the author of Saying is Believing, The Necessity of Testimony in Adolescent Spiritual Development. Dr. Drury, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Connor. All right, well, let's just start off with some hard-hitting theological questions (laughs) then. Question number one, summer or fall? Oh, fall. That's an easy one. Fall. It's hard to beat fall, so. Question number two, lakes or mountains? So... I don't feel like I need to choose because this summer we were in the Grand Tetons, Sterling Lake. So we had the mountain there, the lake. In the, so I'm, I'm going to cheat and choose them both. Gotcha. And question number three, The Hobbit or Chronicles of Narnia? Once I hit 12, The Hobbit. I think that's been more of a grow into series for me. I mean, it's hard to be either of them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just start off then just talking about your experience of teaching and of the other work that you do here at the university. So you were the director of the Imaginarium. Would you mind just talking a little bit about what that is and what you do through that mission? Sure. So the Imaginarium is a laboratory where we experiment with new ways of doing spiritual formation with young people. It got started a few years ago with a grant from Lilly Endowment to focus on youth ministry About a year and a half ago, we received another grant to focus on young adults, and just in the last uh, nine months or so, that then was expanded to include children as well. So we are literally going from from birth to young adulthood, just looking for new ways of, of doing spiritual formation. There's a lot of experimentation with that, lots of trial and error, and of course, ministry is so contextual that it's not about coming up with a one size fits all, but really partnering with different local congregations to help them find what's going to work in their context that perhaps they they hadn't thought of or were too afraid to try. I want to touch on a little bit of what you were saying in there about grant writing, because I know that's also a big part of what you do. And I feel like maybe there's just a conception that maybe all of these different programs or things within the university just kind of spring up out of nowhere and they're free <laughs> and they're cheap and easy and yes, all that sort of, of stuff. <laughs> but so talk a bit about that process of like, what is it like to actually start up a project, get it going, get funding for it? Because again, the university can't just pay for every idea that we have. And so we might need some external sources for that. So how does grant writing play into that? I should say the first grant that I wrote came out of deep discontent, if I, if I can put it mildly that way. So I had been teaching for a few years, and I kept bumping into young women who were popping in my office and saying things like, I'm a senior. It never occurred to me I could be a pastor. I wish so much I had majored in Christian ministries or or something like that. And I was getting so frustrated that we we weren't reaching these these women sooner. And I was complaining about it (laughs) to, to my dean at the time, Dave Ward, Dr. Dave Ward. And he had just heard about a Lilly grant that was available for for teenagers, working with teenagers. And he handed me the request for proposal and essentially said, well, then do something about it. We sat around a table for about two days and just did some initial brainstorming in terms of, okay, what would it look like to create a program for women and for men who are in their teenage years that could help them explore a call to ministry? That was how that first one birthed. And then I I kind of got, got hooked after that. But I will say 
anytime I've written a grant and then have gotten the grant, there always comes this period of, oh no, (laughs) now we actually have to do something about it. So I I think sometimes people imagine you get a million dollars and you're elated. And I I am, you are, It's, it's exciting, but there's also this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, like, okay, now we have to do something. And can we do something that is worthy of this amazing, amazing gift? So there's a lot of mixed emotions, but I've I've really come to love that process. That's awesome. And kind of going into what you were talking about with that, but also the Imaginarium as well, of your focus on getting teenagers into ministry. Whereas I feel like in the church, we can often see the teenage years is like, that is the time where you're just like sitting back and learning and maybe you don't go out and do as much stuff. So why do you think it's important to Get these teenagers out there, have them discipling early, have them doing missions early. Why do you think that's so important? There are some sayings that I find myself repeating over and over again. And the first is, if the kingdom of God belongs to children, which Jesus says it does, then the local church probably does too. And so often churches, we, we can tend to think that these are people that we're ministering to. It's the, the future of the church. No, they're not the future of the church. They're, they're the church now. And there's no such thing as a Holy Spirit junior. So it's not like, you know, when you're little, you have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. And then when you grow up, you get the the big version. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is on that five-year-old or 12-year-old, 17-year-old. And so what does it look like to actually believe that and to take it seriously, to take a priesthood of believers seriously? I think what people are finding is youth will happily rise to the occasion if they've got someone in their life that thinks that they can actually do this. Going into that, so how do you feel like maybe acknowledging the maturity of a teenager and not just being like, oh, like you're saying, you you don't just have the Holy Spirit Jr., you don't have Christ Jr. in you, you you are called at whatever point in your life you're at. So how do you feel like seeing the teenagers or children like on the level that they are and not just like looking down on them, do you think that maybe plays a role into propelling them into ministry as well? So I have a very vivid memory of being in seventh grade and my youth pastor, Doug Swank, making the comment that he, he really thought that I was a leader. And that was the first time I had, I had heard that before. That was such a pivotal moment in my life that someone that I looked up to saw potential in me. I mean, that was very simple. It was a one conversation. I don't know that us adults really think about just how important those words of affirmation can be, that they can really be life-changing for a young person. That's so true. And going into maybe the education side of things, so you teach theology and ministry and a whole bunch of other topics as well. So how do you think education plays into it? So maybe you have the practical side of things at first, like you can go out, you can do some local ministries or that sort of thing. How does education then maybe further or help benefit people going into the pastorate and being better pastors, ministers, lay leaders, anything like that? I think that in many ways, some kind of ministry degree really teaches people how to think. I'm I'm thinking specifically of, of youth ministry, a field that changes so quickly. I mean, youth are always dealing with something new. You, we cannot anticipate the things that are popping up, or, or not even just teenagers, but you look at COVID, where we are bumping into paths that are just brand new. We did not teach COVID 101 five years ago in, you know, in, in theology courses. And so really this emphasis on, okay, what does it mean to think theologically about this situation that you could not have imagined 10 years ago? What does it look like to provide an easy-to-use framework that can provide the kind of depth that, that pastors need to really be relevant today. Well, then going into 
the personal side of it because we've been talking about a lot of these big ideas and missions. So what made you personally interested in teaching theology, teaching ministry, teaching the next generations to go into ministry? I had no intention of teaching at all. When I was younger, I always thought that I would grow up and marry a pastor. I, I didn't see any women ministers. And then I saw, met a woman missionary and thought, oh, maybe I could do that. And then I heard a woman speak somewhere and thought, oh, maybe I could be an itinerant, itinerant speaker. I came to Indiana Wesleyan as an art major and loved my time with, with Rod Crossman, with Ron Mazel, and I would not trade that for anything. And while I was working on my art projects, I found myself drawn to my, my general education Bible courses. I'm rushing through things to get to, get to that homework. And so eventually I, I switched my major over to biblical literature, but again, not, not really having any idea where that would lead. Fell in love with my husband, John, and we were married after graduation and he was going to seminary and, and I didn't quite know what I was going to do with myself and decided, you know, I'm, I'll, sure, I'll go ahead and do that too. And really just kind of fell into that, into that process. And it was there that I really felt a call confirmed. And then I had it in my head, okay, John is the professor and I'm the pastor. He's going to work in the academy. I'm going to work in the church. So graduated from seminary, worked in a church for a little bit. And then I got a phone call from Russ Gonzalez, who was working at Indiana Wesleyan at the time. And he, he asked if I would teach a youth ministry class during a May term. And I immediately said yes. And we started planning out what that would look like. And then I went, wait, wait a minute, I have a full-time job. I can't just leave for a month and teach this class. But that was the first kind of twinge of, oh, wow, maybe there's something in me that, that wants to teach. And around that same time, the Timothy Scholars Program opened up at Princeton Seminary, which was a doctoral program that was focusing on people that wanted to, to focus on, on teenagers, essentially. And just that timing of my own nudgings and desires there in this program opening up was just a really amazing meshing together that I could not have anticipated. So graduated with my PhD and then came here. That's awesome. So we just had Todd Ream on the show for our previous episode, and we were talking a lot about time management and also doing more than just being a professor. Being a professor is already just, it can be exhausting. You have all the papers to grade, you have classes to write, all of those sorts of things. And then on top of that, you're also the director of this program. So how do you just find time to do multiple things aside from teaching, but like find other avenues of ministry through the university? This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I have come to really value the practice of Sabbath. I love my work. I would happily do it all weekend long. And I always thought workaholism had to do with if you hated your job and your dread. I realized it was the opposite, that, that you could love your job and, and, and be a, a workaholic. And I was challenged a few years ago to, to take a full Sabbath, a true Sabbath, 24 hours. My coach who, who shared this with me, he's right about everything. And so I thought, okay, fine, I will just try this. And he told me you were going to hate it. And I did for a year. I took a Sabbath once a week for a year and, and I did not like it. I was always thinking about the things that I could be getting done or this and that. But after about a year, <laughs> I started to look forward to it and value it. And it just became this, just this refreshing time that I think gave me, even gave me better clarity to do the kind of work I wanted to do. It's, it's really helped me, I think, become a more present person to not constantly be trying to think of what's coming. But okay, here I am in this moment. What am I being called to do right now and to try to try to be all there? That's that's my goal, at least. I seldom get to that point, but that's that's where I'm striving to be. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit more of just Sabbath in general, because I feel like that is a command that 
especially as Americans, we don't really maybe take seriously because so much of our culture is just about do everything while you can, take advantage of everything, even the things that are supposed to be relaxing, like, or that we're relaxing, like social media, where it started out, you're just hanging out with talking with friends. And now it's like, no, your social media is a way to grow your business, is a way to, and so this mindset of everything that we have is a way to further advance where we are or where we're going or what we believe in. But a huge command for us is that we need to take rest. So how did that full year of Sabbath impact you and maybe help you in a professional sense, but also in a spiritual sense and maybe relaxation sense as well. And how do you feel like maybe we struggle with the theological implications of Sabbath in our modern world? I'll say, first of all, the the Spiritual Formation Office spent a whole semester looking at Sabbath just recently, and I loved the sermons that came out of that. I found that, found that very, very helpful. I think practicing the Sabbath reminds me that I'm not in control. I can puff up my own ego of, oh, I have to get this done. If I don't get this done, you know, no, blah, 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 and can, can really, I think, blow out of proportion the things that I'm doing, whereas Sabbath reminds me nothing's ever done. There's no final resting place here. You, you, you have to choose it. You have to, you have to take it. And there's something very humbling about that. And even if I don't like it, I have valued the magnifying glass on my own limitations. Yeah. I feel like that's especially important for people in ministry and pastors in general, because I think oftentimes, you know, if people do take some sort of a Sabbath, it's usually on a Sunday. And I feel like pastors especially just feel the call to just be going all the time and to always be available to the congregants, to people, to anything like that. So yes, what would you say maybe to pastors oh, in regards to Sabbath? Yes, 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 yes. So I think oftentimes people get into ministry because they have a heart for people. You know, they love God, they love their neighbor, and, and there's this compassion, empathy that, that tends to be in a lot of people going into ministry. And so I, I think in some ways that makes it even harder because you're trying to Sabbath and then this happens or, and, and you think, oh, I need to be, I need to be present there. And it is so easy to fall into some kind of Messiah complex. That stuff can just build and build and you don't even realize how exhausted you are until you hit a wall some kind of compassion fatigue there. I would encourage pastors to find someone who will hold them accountable. My coach had told me, Mandy, ask John to hold you accountable to having a Sabbath every week and then thank him on the front end because you are not going to thank him again for the rest of the year. You are going to be so annoyed with him. (laughs) And he was right. But it was so helpful to have John asking me, hey, when are you going to Sabbath this week? And he also helped me too in terms of, I'll Sabbath for 24 hours, but I might start at 5 p.m. on Saturday, on Friday, and go till 5 p.m. on Saturday. It doesn't have to be one calendar day. So that was helpful, too, for me to to think a little bit more creatively about how that looks. In my devotional recently, I was reading this thing about talking about how Jesus spent his time and that when you look at how much of his life was devoted to his ministry, I mean, it's fairly small in comparison to the rest of it. And he still took time to take breaks and to rest and to go and see people and do all these other things. And it was just a reminder of like, if Jesus can take a break, you can take a break too, because your work probably isn't as important as what (laughs) Jesus is doing. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Well, kind of going into just your spiritual formation through this job, then how do you feel like teaching other people to be ministers and to think critically about their faith. How do you think that has maybe then in return taught you as well? It seems like 
most people in the church tend to think of prayer and reading their Bible as the two ways of growing close to God. And yes, I want to hold those up. Prayer, reading our Bibles, those are wonderful pathways to God. But I don't want us to limit, <laughs> to think inside that box that, that these are you know, the two ordained ways. And, and there's all kinds of talk about practices and things like that. But to really try to challenge people, what if this thing over here that you love, what if this could be a conduit for, for knowing and loving God more? What if soccer wasn't a distraction here? What if there is a way in which you could engage with this game that is spiritually formative for you? I've shared the story with my students, but when my daughter Clara was five or six, I was in the kitchen and she was at the table coloring. I asked her what she was doing and she said, I'm playing school. God is my student. Oh, well, okay. (laughs) And then she paused and she asked, does God want to pray with me or does he want to color with me? And I said, I think God might want to color with you right now. And she said, oh, good, <laughs> and started to color. Now, obviously, I'm, I've been cultivating, wanting to cultivate a prayer life in, with Clara. We, we pray at certain times of our day and whatnot. But I'm wanting her to see her relationship with God as going beyond those boundaries, that God can take delight in us when we are doing the things that he's created us to do and we've been designed to love I think that's a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Dr. Dory, thank you so much for being on. Is there a place where people can go to find your writings or maybe get connected with Imaginarium or anything else they want to plug? We just launched a new website. Thank you, Lauren Shepard. It's ImaginariumIWU.com. And we've got some clickables there where you can see what we're doing with children, what we're doing with teenagers, what we're doing with young adults. So that'd be a, a great place to go. Awesome. We'll make sure to put a link to that in our show notes. Again, Dr. Jury, thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much. Simply Why is brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University. IWU is a nationally renowned, Christ-centered academic community dedicated to providing leading, innovative education opportunities for students of all ages, backgrounds, and life stages. To learn more about IWU's online, on-site, and hybrid programs, visit indwes.edu and make sure to follow us on social media as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.